0: So thanks for having me come here this morning. Uh, I'll give you... My name's Kurt Gerald, as Emily pointed out. I'm alumni of ENC. Pretty recently, it seems like a lifetime ago. But uh, I moved up to Hull, Hingham area to uh, work at North Street Community Church, but uh, with a focus on working with people who are struggling with addictions. Uh, So we started this ministry called The Anchor. I'll give you a little background of what it is, what we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish, Um, and I'll go into a message. Um, So, if you are alive and have a heartbeat, you know what's going on in America with this opioid epidemic. Uh, You know how it's just wreaking havoc, uh, killing people left and right. I know um, probably some of you in here today have been uh, touched by this epidemic. So Hull, I'll tell you a little bit about Hull, the reason why we're doing it in Hull. So Massachusetts is getting destroyed, I will say that, but more specifically Plymouth County. And Hull is this little peninsula, kind of like an island, but on three sides. I'm not, whatever. So um, it goes into the water. It's about 10,000 people live there. And... um, it's just it's it's actually getting destroyed. It's right across uh, water from Boston. I don't know if you can see it from here, but can you? Do you know, you just shake your head yes, like you can, can you? I don't know. All right. Um, but the overdose and death rate in this town is is insane. It's it's comparable to big bigger cities like Boston, Brockton, all that. Like we have 10,000 people, but I believe last year the final numbers haven't come out yet. But I work closely with the police, and there's some. Somewhere around sixty 70. so that's i mean that that's a high percentage, uh, whereas Brockton has a hundred thousand people and they they experience six seven eight hundred uh, overdoses um, so we're pretty comparable uh, per capita so but what we realized pretty quickly when we um when we first started, was that we were not going to be able to pre- provide medical, psychological, um, or any services like psych- psychiatric services or anything like that, because I mean, I mean, some of us are actually equipped to do that, but that there's so much, so many services like that already out there, that um, there was no we we don't need to replicate what's already being done. We need something new. Um, What we noticed is that there's a real need for community. So in this day and age, right, we all say, yes, we have community, right? What's our community? I don't even have my phone. Our community is Facebook, right? So we have this false sense of community where, you know, I'm sitting in my room looking through at all my friends and what they're doing and all this stuff, and I feel like I have community, and all of a sudden I, I put that phone down and I'm by myself. We have this false sense of community nowadays. Um... But we as, the, we as the church, we already know uh, where, where the strength is found, right? Where, where the strength to overcome certain barriers, certain obstacles, certain addictions is found. It's in community. It's in the body. We already know this. We've been saying this probably for, what, 2,000 years? I don't know. Whenever, 2,000-something years. Suffer up for debate. Um, we know that this life that we lead cannot be done in seclusion. Rather, must be done in community. This is a mind frame we're trying to, to bring to those who are struggling with addiction in their families, offer true community. Um, we've been working on getting a space for many months now. We, it's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, they said yes and then no and then hold on and then it's been a roller coaster ride. But I know God's got something for us and, and he's going to open up doors sooner or later. Um, but what we have been doing is just diving into this community. Uh, we started in Hull and Hingham area actually, and just meeting people, getting our face out there, holding trainings for people who want to work with people struggling with substance use disorder, uh, holding overdose preventions. we were holding them actually here on campus as well. Um, and we're, we've been another thing we've been doing is hosting uh, open mic nights. So Emily said uh, one of the things we try we want to do is uh, is serve people through the arts, and uh, we find that if you give somebody a positive place and, and environment for them to express themselves, it, it really helps out, and it, and it helps out uh, tremendously with people in addiction, in addiction as well. Some, something we heard was, uh, I heard somebody say, oh, if I wasn't here tonight, you know, I, I, might, I might, might be out there doing something stupid. Or we see people who are struggling with addiction um, s- talking with people who don't, but just building that relationship, breaking down stig- you know those, those walls, those barriers, that stigma that, that keeps people from getting the help that they need. Right? Another thing we do is, uh, uh, this wasn't our original vision, but this is how, what it's become, just getting people placed into treatment, um, getting o- opening up those doors. I became cert, uh, trained in, in recovery coaching, and I work with the 28 police departments of Plymouth, and uh, just go to where somebody's overdose. say, hey, I'm here. What do you need? What, what can we do? And I've been, we've been bringing along a lot of people from the church as well now. It's, it's really... Really something to see uh, the other day we just got two people from Hull in and it started see we started in Hull but it's 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 impossible to stay in Hull it, it, when somebody calls you from Brockton or when somebody calls you from Rockland or when some you can't just say no and, and North Street Community Church the anchor we say yes and, and we go and that's that's uh, that's one of one of the things we do there's a lot more that yeah, we do. Um, I can't really, really get into all of it right now because I want to get into the Word, but that's just a brief synopsis. And if you want to know more, I'm going to hang out here. Afterwards, we can talk. Uh, if you yourself or a friend or a loved one is struggling, please, keeping your mouth shut does not do anything. If you need help, you need to open your mouth. <clears throat> there is a major problem with getting involved with this, this type of ministry, though, the anchor, right? It's the heartache. Um, and that pretty much brings me to what I want to preach on today, what I want to speak about today. Um, Sometimes we look at something, right, uh, and just think there's no way that this is going to change, right? Uh, That that it's been a certain way for so long that uh, it's always going to be this way. There's no way that's going to change, and and we just accept it like, yo, it is what it is. This is what it's going to be. When I first moved up here, I was driving for a company out of Rainham. I was working on the farm and nursery and driving the truck. But I was driving the truck. Who knows the Four River Bridge? It's right here. I mean, one person. Two Pete, three. Okay, there we go. We got a couple of people. Um, you know, So um, I would drive around pretty much Massachusetts, Rhode Island, everywhere delivering to Shaw's, Roach Brothers, different places like that. And one day I had the the pleasure of driving, this about five years ago, driving over the Four River Bridge. And um, or the temporary permanent bridge. I don't. It, it was it was it was being built for like 20 years or so or something like that. I don't know the exact numbers. Um, but I mean, I just figured, yeah, it's, it's gonna get fixed one day. So fast forward, I'd say five years later, I was going up to apply or interview at the job with Pastor Jer- or Jeremy Scott, Professor. Jer- I know what you guys call him, Professor Scott. Um, and I was going to interview with them, and I was driving over the bridge, and, and it actually had gotten worse. It, like, went down to one lane, and it was just it was just horrible. Uh, I, and I just figured, yeah, it's it's always going to be that way. It stinks. There's this girl at our church, Emily Fish. She would post every morning, like, the bridge is going up at this time, and it's going down at th- uh, up at this time. And to beware, because if you get caught behind that, like, my wife, she hates, even to this day, she still hates it. But... Because she leaves for work at around eight thirty-nine, it always goes up at nine, and she's stuck on the line. But you get stuck for like a half hour if you don't if you're not gonna if you're not gonna get over that bridge, you're getting stuck. But so she would post the times, and then she would write hashtag. You know how your kids do? You know hashtag um, Four River Bridge. But I didn't know it was called the Four River Bridge at the time, so I thought in my mind she was writing. I just quickly glance, I thought she was writing Forever Bridge, like it's going to be tr- trashed forever, but in all reality, it was, it was the Four River Bridge. But I just thought it would never get fixed. See, sometimes something is a way it is for so long that we kind of give up on it. We view it um, that that's how it is, that's how it's always going to be, and it's never going to change. So today, I want to take a look at the story of Lazarus. So if you have Bibles, which I assume you probably do, and if not, I'm sure the verses will be up there on the... Uh, on the big screens. So turn with me to chapter, John chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 17. I'll give you 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. You're there. All right. So verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So earlier in the chapter, Jesus received the news that Lazarus was sick um, and that he was, uh, he, was gonna, he, was, he was really sick. And he said, you know what? He's like, yo, let's wait two days, and then I'll go to him. So even if Jesus had left right then and there when he had heard, um, he wouldn't have made it in time. Lazarus was dead for four days when he arrived. It means Jesus waited two to, if Jesus had waited two days and left, it would have taken him, well, I actually it would have taken him two days, but I actually was doing some thinking. I think it would have taken him one day because it would have taken the messenger one day to get to him. So whatever. He wouldn't have gotten there in time. That's, that's pretty much what I'm trying to get across to you all right now. Um, but there was a reason why he waited. So even if he would have left right away and wouldn't have made it, there's a reason why he waited those extra days. See, there's a general belief for the Jews of that time period um, that the, the, the spirit hovered above the body for three days with anticipation of re-entry into the body. Um, and after three days, the body lost uh, its color, the spirit was locked out, and um, there was no chance of re-entry. So according to the Jews of the time, Lazarus was dead. He was gone, completely. There was no hope of him coming back. He, he, there's just no chance. So moving forward, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many Jews, oh, sorry, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. See again, we see a bunch of people who all would have thought the same, the very same thing. There is no hope for Lazarus. He's dead. So there's the common, we're going to hear this, this common theme throughout the whole story. The same theme, he's gone, he's dead, there's no hope, there is no hope. Um, Jesus is going to use this very crowd that came to show the power of God. So moving on, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But then Jesus said back, right? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So Martha's first words to Jesus were what? If you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died, right? But then she follows up that statement with, you could do anything because if you ask the Father, he's going to give it to you. So she knew because of Lazarus' relationship with Jesus that her brother would would rise again and be resurrected on, on, on the last day. Uh, even though she agrees and says she believes that anyone who believes in Jesus shall live, that he is the resurrection and the life, um, I don't think she was fully prepared for what was about to happen. Um, and I think most of us here sit- sitting here today sometimes uh, have experienced the same thing, right? We say, oh, I believe Jesus can do anything, right? But do we truly believe that Jesus can accomplish anything? Can we? Can Can Jesus really bring someone back to life? We're going to see. I mean, I think you know where the story's going. But uh, verse twenty-eight. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "The teacher is here, and he's calling for you." And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not co- yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly wounded, greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could he, not he who have opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? So now we see the same thing, right? We see Mary asking the same thing of Jesus. If you had only been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. Is this Is this appropriate? is this okay to ask questions of Jesus like this of God like this I think it